When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 197 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing what exactly we should be eating to reduce exposure to harmful chemicals and attain optimal health. Now, when we think about toxin exposure, we often frame the conversation in terms of beauty products or cleaning products, but there are plenty of toxins in the processed food items we know and love, and so today we're bringing them into the light so we can hopefully make better eating choices moving forward. Today, I am speaking with Tanya Harris. Tanya is board certified in holistic nutrition, and she's also the author of a new book out this week called The Slightly Greener Method, Detoxifying Your Home is Easier, Faster, and Less Expensive Than You Think. Now, before we get into today's conversation with Tanya, and it's a good one, a quick note from this week's one and only sponsor, Quince. Traditional luxury retailers add markup after markup through middlemen, and the old way of doing things is full of financial and environmental waste. Quince has been a game changer for my wardrobe and home, and that's because Quince eliminates the excess. They eliminate excess packaging and unnecessary shipping around the globe, and they only partner with factories committed to sustainability. Quince is building the next Amazon, but better. Now there's a brand new offer for our listeners, 10% off your first purchase of $100 or more when you use special code SM10 at checkout. Just go to onequince.com and use code SM10 at checkout. You still get 365-day free returns, but many of their collections sell out immediately, so move quickly. Go to onequince.com, that's O-N-E-Q-U-I-N-C-E.com and use code SM10. Now let's get straight into our interview with Tanya Harris. Tanya, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. How are you? Great. How are you? And thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you. I was saying offline before we started recording that a lot of publishers send me an awful lot of books, and that's really exciting because I love to read. But this book and you, you're somebody I really wanted to talk to because your new book, The Slightly Greener Method, gave so much actionable advice and tips on how each of us can live a life with less toxin exposure. And 
I've said also to you offline that I've covered, you know, the cleaning products before. I've covered toxin exposure as it relates to beauty before, both topics of which you cover in your book. But so today, to really dive deep and really get into the weeds, I want to talk to you all about the toxins, the harmful chemicals that may be present in our food. Now, before we do all of that, I need to know, who are you? What do you do? And how did you find yourself interested in reducing your family's exposure to toxins in your personal life? Oh, sure. Well, I am an environmental toxin expert, and I've been studying this for probably 15 years, I think, 15, 18 years, somewhere in there. What really started, it was back in 2006, my son started having behavior issues, not behavior issues, but more like attention issues at school, just not being able to sit still. And the teacher had called me in and said, we maybe would like to test him for ADHD. And I don't know what it was inside of me. And also, I wasn't surprised. I had seen it all at home. But something inside of me was like, I wonder if there's something that is contributing to that behavior or something in our home. And I think in my past as a childhood cancer survivor, I had leukemia. I was diagnosed at the age of seven. And I was always told, be careful what you eat, be careful what you do growing up. So I decided I just asked for a little bit of time just so I could kind of research everything because I'm just, I guess, a researcher by nature even before I started doing this. I went home and dug around and researched a bunch. And I think I took out artificial colors and sodium benzoate as the two initial things I removed from his diet. And I went back to school a few years later or a few weeks later and they didn't want to test him anymore. So I was like, whoa, I was kind of hooked. So again, we did not cure him, but we lessened the symptoms enough. And then I was kind of hooked on the natural approach thinking, if I did that in just a couple of weeks, what else can I do? And then I realized, whoa, it's not even just what we eat. It's what we clean with. It's what we put on our bodies and around our bodies. But I realized one of the biggest things we did was with food, what a quick difference it made. So I think that's really what started me out, but I've just kind of been hooked ever since. And I love helping families look at the labels. And what I like to say too, is I like to teach people how to not need me later (laughs) because I want to teach people how to do this on their own and how to make it doable for you in your house and not have to be so overwhelmed with everything also with having to memorize so many ingredient names. I want to help you decide what to prioritize for your own family's unique needs. Well, I must say your book gave so many examples and information. It's like my new Bible. I want to bring it with me to the grocery store next time I go so I can look it up and say, oh, that sodium laureth sulfate. Oh, no, I can't buy something with that. But we're here to talk about food and I know you have mentioned in the book that when you're working with clients who are looking to reduce their toxin exposure, you always start with what they're eating. You start with their food. Why is that? I really feel that food is the basis. It's the foundation. So I like to think of it as a healthy home project, which means it it has it's, it has a starting point, but not necessarily an ending point. It's always, you're always working on it. It's always a project type thing. And I really feel like when you think of it as a house too, that is the foundation. So you always want to start with the foundation. It's the strongest piece. And really, if you are cleaning with better products and using you know, less toxic personal care products, but you're not addressing your food, you're not getting the full effects. It's what you put in your body that really fuels your cells, makes a quick impact, and it's really what you need to do for your health overall. Well, 
I am passionate about healthy eating and I'm not perfect by any means, but I feel as though the general population, when they think about healthy eating, the first thing that comes to mind is fresh, local, and organic produce, right? That's what we've been told for decades. And I liked how you mentioned in your book that organic farming is important. It's obviously important from an environmental standpoint, but it also is important from a health standpoint. So tell us about that. Why is purchasing organic food, if it's available to you and if the funds are there in your pocketbook, why is investing in the organic food important? Well, I think that really a lot of studies have shown back and forth whether or not organic is really worth it and whether or not it really is more nutritious. But what they have found in studies is that in addition to being contaminated with pesticides, nitrates, and heavy metals for conventionally grown produce, meaning produce that's grown with more of these pesticides, they have found that organic produce has less of those while also having more vitamin C, iron, and magnesium than non-organic foods. So it's not only to me what it has, and studies are now showing that they are higher in antioxidants also, but it's also what they don't have, which is that heavy metals, well, it's just they have fewer of them, heavy metals, pesticides, and nitrates. And they've also found that they do deliver more antioxidant compounds. And again, having that fewer heavy metals. And the Environmental Working Group has also found that 70% of fresh produce in the United States has pesticide residue after washing. So even if you're washing the produce, you're not necessarily lessening the pesticide exposure. And just for anybody who finds themselves, as I sometimes do, finds themselves confused with regard to the term organic and the label organic, there's a difference between something being 100% certified USDA organic versus something that's, let's say, made with organic ingredients. And I'm doing air quotes over there, made with organic ingredients. What are the differences between all these terms and in some cases, marketing gimmicks? There are about three different levels of organic and USDA organic is the most regulated. It's probably, it's the hardest to get. And this means things like synthetic pesticides or chemicals or GMOs cannot be used for organic meat, dairy, and eggs. They cannot use growth hormones or antibiotics. And the farm also cannot have used any of the prohibited substances on its land for three years prior to applying for status. And then they have to have things such as year-round grazing access and non-GMO feed are required for organic livestock. So that's USDA organic. And that's the common seal you'll see with USDA on top and organic on the bottom, typically in two different colors. I think it's white and green. And then next up is 100% organic. So again, that's you might see that too instead of USDA organic. And that again means it was produced without the use of synthetic pesticides, GMOs, or artificial fertilizers. The next one is organic. And if it says that, that means that it's at least 95% of the ingredients were grown organically. And that's because some of the ingredients that you see in some of these food products actually cannot have an organic certification, such as when you see baking soda on a label, there is no organic, there's no organic certification for baking soda. So in that case, that can't be certified organic. So, but 95% of the ingredients in that food product are. So that's what organic means. And then another one you might see is made with organic ingredients. And with this one, at least 70% have to be certified organic, 70% of the ingredients in there. So when you do that, including the 30% 
that are non-organic, they must all be produced without GMOs and each ingredient must be listed individually. So you'll see things like organic strawberries, organic blueberries. So they have to have the word organic in front of them. But that means at least 70% of the um, ingredients are certified organic in that product. Let's talk about the 10 ingredients you suggest we all, I don't want to say avoid because that sounds scary, like 10 things, never eat again, but maybe 10 ingredients that's in a lot of food items that we could consume less. So there's 10, we have a lot to cover. And Listeners, just for your listening pleasure to break it up so that there's a little bit more structure, a little bit more cohesion to our conversation, we're first going to talk about the ingredients Tanya suggests if you're looking to lose weight. Then we're going to talk about the ingredients Tanya suggests we avoid if we're looking to alleviate some sort of symptom. And then finally, we're going to finish up with the ingredients to avoid if you're just simply looking to minimize your exposure to toxins. So does that sound good to you, Tanya? We'll start with the ones to avoid for losing weight. The first one I would recommend is monosodium glutamate. And that is in so many different foods, so many different processed foods. It's in things such as sauces or flavored crackers and spices, just so many different snack foods because it's a flavor enhancer. But the thing is that it can shut off leptin, which is the hormone that tells us that we're full. So if we've ever sat in front of a TV and had a whole bag of chips, which, you know, I think we've all done that (laughs) at some point, it's things like that, that that may be something in that food that shut off the leptin to tell us we're full. So that can lead to weight gain right there. Also, the way it affects neurons in the brain. So for brain health, it's good to avoid it too. But really for weight loss, MSG is one of the top ones I recommend avoiding. Okay. So... I know MSG because my good friends have a love of Chinese food, and it seems as though when we get together, we (laughs) always get Chinese food. But what I learned from your book is that MSG is in a ton of our favorite food items at the supermarket, and it can come packaged under many different names. So do you have any suggestions for us as we're looking to reduce our MSG consumption? It goes beyond just eating less Chinese food. Absolutely. It's so many different snack foods and salad dressings and so many different places. Another thing is that it hides, like you said, it's in like 40 different ingredients also contain MSG. So in the book, I have a list of things to be on the lookout for. But I think my number one tip is to really just um, whole foods as much as possible But if you see monosodium glutamate on a label, some other common things you'll see is like hydrolyzed vegetable protein. So anything really, because the next one is textured vegetable protein, yeast extract or autolyzed yeast. So even though that is an MSG itself, these ingredients do contain it. So there's a lot of sneaky ways it can get into your food. So if you're avoiding things that are flavored, like different spices, make sure you check your label for monosodium glutamate. It can also hide under the term natural flavors. That's why another reason I recommend avoiding those. But if you buy things that are as whole food as possible, then you probably won't see it on the label. Or I mean, you probably won't be eating it. And quick plug for your book here. I'm I'm leafing through it as we're talking. And you have three entire pages on how to avoid MSG. MSG can hide in ingredients that you commonly see on a label. So I think what you're saying there is that a label might not say contains monosodium glutamate, but it will say 
hydrolyzed vegetable protein, and part of the hydrolyzed vegetable protein is then the MSG. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. When MSG isn't itself technically added to the product, it is in the product kind of like a contaminant because of that ingredient that does contain it. This is why I need to bring your book to the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to move right along into another ingredient we should seek to limit if we're looking to lose weight, and that is artificial sweeteners. This one is a tricky one. Of course, this one is in like a lot of sugar-free foods and diet soda. So actually, when we're drinking something like diet soda, one of the surprising things is one study has found that with every can of diet soda you consume each day, you're actually increasing your risk of becoming overweight by 41%. While they do have zero calories, what's happening is that our bodies are designed to have a cephalic response when we taste something sweet. So it releases insulin and insulin is the hormone that gets our bodies ready for carbohydrates that it thinks it's about to receive. But when we're drinking the artificial sweeteners, it doesn't actually get those carbohydrates and it causes the blood sugar to drop, which also causes us to overeat because we were expecting calories and food. So insulin is released whether or not the carbohydrates are received by the body. And this release of insulin tells the body to store fat. Just for clarification, when you're talking about artificial sweeteners, you're probably talking about aspartame. Mm -hmm. What other artificial sweeteners are you talking about? There's other ones too, like sucralose, Splenda, if you see saccharin, but aspartame and acesulfame K, I think are a lot of the common ones you'll see on foods and beverages. Now, I am the type of person that just loves a good sweet I love sweet stuff. (laughs) So for me, just cutting out the sugared things is not realistic. I could limit them, but I will never be the person who doesn't go for, let's say, the cupcake. (laughs) Just not that person. (laughs) Are there natural sweeteners that I can prioritize instead of the artificial ones? And if so, what are they? Sure. Well, I always recommend if you can, which sounds crazy, just using sugar, (laughs) regular sugar, because there are so many health effects associated with these artificial sweeteners, including for brain health also. But there's a lot of things that you can substitute for sugar. And there's a lot of great resources on the internet also that you can look at. But some of them you can use, sometimes even applesauce is a great substitute. You can use yakon syrup is another one. Stevia you can use in a lot of recipes. So there's a lot of great alternatives to using sugar. But when it comes down to If you're going to have something that has sugar in it, I always recommend going for the sugar item, especially if you can get an organic cane sugar over anything with an artificial sweetener if possible. See, that's so interesting to me because I feel as though sugar has really been vilified in the last 20 years with regard to the health conversation. But what I hear you saying is that good old-fashioned sugar is infinitely better for us than the artificial ones. Is that the takeaway message? (laughs) Not necessarily. It's a tricky one. (laughs) So I brought up that point because I still recommend avoiding sugar. It ages you. I mean, there's so many different things. It's linked to cancer, weight gain, so many different things. But if you have to have something with that sweet, (laughs) I would say go for something that has um, like an organic cane sugar or bake something. There's so many great recipes out there. I actually started baking at home too, just to kind of satisfy my sweet tooth, but to do it without sugar and do it with something like applesauce or something like that, that makes it a little sweet without actually using sugar. 
And so when we're talking about losing weight, the last ingredient we are going to discuss is carrageenan. What on earth is carrageenan? I thought it was carrageenan. So I'm learning things every day, Tanya. What is carrageenan? What's it in? And why should we be concerned about it? Well, it's an emulsifier, so it works to kind of blend the foods together so they blend a little bit more easily. So you can find it in a lot of dairy products such as ice cream and heavy whipping cream, ice cream, cottage cheese, yogurt, those type of things. But it's linked to things like colitis and colon cancer, and it can also contribute to weight gain because one of the things it does is it really interferes with beneficial bacteria in our GI tract which we know when we're messing with that, that so many different things can happen like inflammation and weight gain. So this is another one that I definitely recommend that if you see it on a label that you avoid for so many different reasons, actually. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. Just before coming to talk to you today, I went into the freezer, I looked at my ice cream and the third or fourth ingredient was carrageenan. And, you know, I looked it up and it says it's from seaweed. So how can seaweed be bad for you? But I'm so happy to talk to you to learn that carrageenan isn't so great for our waistlines and it's not so great for our health. Next up, we are talking about the ingredients to avoid if you want to alleviate some sort of symptom. So before we get into the ingredients, Tanya, maybe you can explain to my listeners what you mean by symptom alleviation. So, well, I I really think that toxins are kind of the missing piece to the healthcare puzzle. So we're just kind of lessening the symptoms. It doesn't mean that we're going to cure the condition. It just means that we might lessen the symptoms, which is easy to see too, especially with like skincare products. If you have eczema, say if you avoid a certain ingredient, then your eczema might lessen. So that's what I mean when I'm saying alleviate the symptoms. Let's have you give us a condition and then have you give the food ingredients that we should be avoiding if we're seeking to lessen that condition's symptoms? One of the first ones is hormones. And I like to bring this one up because who of us is not concerned about hormones right now? There's a hormone for everything. It's not just, oh, we're cranky, it's hormones. But there's hormones for sleep, hunger, blood pressure, so many different things. So what happens is there's things called endocrine disruptors. And they can come into the body. What it is is a synthetic or man-made chemical that can come into the body and they can cause our endocrine system to mess with our hormones, which are our body's chemical messengers. So what can happen is hormones can be underproduced or overproduced, or they can be blocked or mimicked. So there's not so many in food, but there is one I like to really bring up because one of our biggest exposure to it, exposures to it is through food, and that is BPA, bisphenol A. And the reason one of our biggest exposures to that is through food is because it's found in things like reusable water bottles or food storage containers. So this is one of the things that I recommend avoiding. It's also in a lot of canned foods because what they do is they use it in the epoxy lining so that the food doesn't touch the metal in the can. So there's so many different ways here through our food that we're either drinking it or getting exposure to it, especially in our kitchens. What I recommend is always using glass food storage containers rather than plastic and replacing your reusable water bottles with things like stainless steel or glass. And there's a lot of great options out there. But one thing I also like to say too is don't go for something that's plastic that says BPA-free because BPA is bisphenol A. But what they're really doing is a lot of companies are substituting it with another bisphenol, such as bisphenol, bisphenol S or bisphenol F. 
And those have kind of the same health effects, if not a little bit stronger than that BPA. You know, I knew that. And thank you for the reminder. We eat a lot of beans in this family and we get the canned beans and the brand we tend to buy says in big letters right on the front, BPA free can lining, right? But something that's BPA free doesn't mean that it's BPS free. Is that what you're saying there? Yes, exactly. Give me another condition and what we should be avoiding if we have it. Sure. Another one I get asked about a lot, so I'll mention, is ADHD. And this is very personal to me too. (laughs) But things like MSG should be avoided, BPA, which I just talked about. Something else called BHA and BHT. A lot of times you'll find these on cereal bag linings, but they're also in things like um, gum, some snack foods, cereal, processed meats, you'll see BHA or BHT on there. And then natural and artificial flavors. Gosh, I can feel the collective stress level of my listeners rising as we're talking because it's hard to change your diet even a little bit, let alone change it drastically. So before we continue on with what we shouldn't be eating, I'm wondering if you have any words of encouragement or advice for anybody listening right now who is feeling ridiculously overwhelmed. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm so glad you asked because that's exactly why I wrote my book. I totally get it. I started out as a mom. You know, my son was eight at the time. He's 23 now. (laughs) So I've been doing this a while, but I started out way too hot and heavy. I started doing this research and I was up at night. I think I wrote in the book too a little bit about like I was losing sleep. I was tossing everything. It was expensive. It was time consuming. And I kind of felt like our lives were a little bit over. (laughs) You know, we're never going to have treats again. We're never going to do this again. But what we need to do is take it a step at a time. The other thing is, again, start with your why. So instead of avoiding all of these ingredients I have in these health protocols, just start with that one little category. And the other thing is, in the back of my book, is I have a bunch of safer brands to buy. So I really think that as overwhelming as it is when we first start out, it becomes so automatic. You find your deal breaker ingredients, which is another thing that I recommend doing. My deal breaker ingredients for a long time and really still are, are artificial colors and sodium benzoate. If they're in a food, I know not to buy it. So then it takes me literally one second to look at a label. So it really becomes automatic when you start realizing what you can buy. There's so many amazing brands out there now that that's the really great news. And also with my book, you get a website where you can go and download these cheat sheets so that you don't have to, you know, bring an entire book and like, oh, what page was that on? I actually have cheat sheets for you to download so that you can look at these and know right away if you see these on a label. And then pretty soon it becomes so automatic. And the other thing I want to mention too is mom guilt, because that is such a real thing where we think, oh my gosh, that was the other thing I thought was I gave my son this, I gave my daughter that, but we're doing the best we can with what we know at the time. Because I was buying baby products for babies, thinking there would be no harmful ingredients. I was doing all these things and finding out later, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so the other thing is no mom guilt or, or parent guilt. We're doing the best we can with the information we have at the time. And if you tell your child also that you can never have a cookie again, because we're not doing this anymore, they're going to rebel and they're going to hate this lifestyle. <laughs> so we've got to occasionally allow ourselves and our children, especially these treats. But the good thing is there's so many substitutes and safer brands out there. 
that even if they are still sugar, that they are, they don't have necessarily the artificial colors or the bad ingredients. So we have to keep that in mind. They are still sugar, but to allow ourselves the occasional treat, or if we buy safer products 80% of the time, we don't have to worry about that 20% of the time where either we don't have control or we just want the occasional treat. I love the 80-20 rule, don't you? Like oh, for so many things. <laughs> yeah, do your best 80% of the time and loosen up the reins a little bit for the other 20%. I think that's important and encouraging message that you're giving us there. So I know we have a couple more conditions to discuss. Let's talk about eczema and skin conditions next, if that's okay with you, because I have eczema. So <laughs> what should I not be eating? <laughs> Well, this is kind of the eczema slash allergies category because so many things, again, when we mess with our digestive systems, they can result in things like eczema or we can be sensitive to some of these ingredients also. So what I recommend avoiding, again, is that carrageenan, which can alter our gut flora. So we talked a little bit about that. Artificial colors. Some people actually have sensitivities to these. And then BPA and natural and artificial flavors. Give me another one. Okay, another one I get questions about a lot is cancer and cancer prevention. So again, eating whole foods as often as possible, organic as often as possible. But some of the ingredients in our foods that we should look at are artificial colors because there are a couple in there that are linked to cancer, especially red number 40, yellow five, and yellow number six. Things like BHA and BHT, carrageenan, and high fructose corn syrup. All right, we got two left, pregnancy health and brain health. You choose which one you want to talk about first. Go ahead. For prenatal and pregnancy, the ones I recommend avoiding are MSG, so monosodium glutamate, BHA and BHT, BPA, artificial colors, carrageenan, and artificial sweeteners. And for brain health? That one is monosodium glutamate, BPA, carrageenan, and artificial sweeteners. So it sounds to me as you are talking about the ingredients to avoid. It sounds to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that these ingredients tend to be in the over-processed, over-packaged foods in the supermarket. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yep. All right. So I then have to ask you, what do you eat? What do you feed your family? A lot of things made with whole foods. We do a lot here. But the other thing too is that there, again, there's so many amazing brands out there that are truly safer and they are responding to what we're buying because people are demanding safer products and safer brands. So again, it becomes very automatic. So I know when I go to the store, what to look for, what I want to avoid. So that's basically what I do is I just follow my own list that I started with the slightly greener method. It's so funny because this is actually how I started helping myself years ago. But yeah, things just made with a, as much whole foods as possible. It's really easy to get fresh produce and carrots and things like that and to kind of cut them up, put them in the refrigerator so they're easy to grab and then just grab like a hummus. And that's such a good snack. Now, here's where I get tripped up and I would love any insight you can offer. You know, I know that the junk food <laughs> processed stuff is bad. However, I shop at a health food store and the majority of the quote unquote junk food in the store that's sold is healthier than, so like, let's say terra chips as opposed to 
Lay's potato chips. Let's, that's just an example. But are the Terra chips really actually then healthy or are they just slightly better than the Lay's? They're slightly better than the Lay's. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them too. I look for things like non-GMO ingredients, but they're still, you know, a carbohydrate. A lot of times around Halloween and Easter too, I talk about healthier candy, but it's still candy. It's still got sugar in it. But it's when we make those substitutions that make this lifestyle doable also. So eating whole foods and whole food snacks and making our meals with whole foods as often as possible. But when we do want those chips, because we are going to want them, it's nice to know that there's a safer brand out there that doesn't contain some of these ingredients that we want to avoid. Ah, that's perfect. So yes, my Terra chips are a more conscious and intentional junk food, but they're still junk food. I think that's a great place to leave it. Tanya, tell us a little bit about when your book comes out and where we can find it. It's available August 3rd, everywhere books are sold. And you can find me at slightlygreener.com or on Instagram at slightlygreener. And quick plug for your book one more time. It is a good one. I read it cover to cover on a Saturday. And I loved every second of it precisely because of the actionable tips that I can take away right away and improve the quality of my life and the quality of my family's life. So Tanya, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your wisdom, and I wish you the utmost success with the launch of your first book. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tanya Harris. I have linked her on social media. I have linked to her book in this week's show notes. Now, on next week's show, we are discussing the difference between vintage and secondhand. I always thought those two words were synonyms, but apparently not. (laughs) We're getting into it next week. I will see you then. Have an amazing week and take care.